Hello, and welcome to the Spillman Insights Podcast, where thought leaders at Spillman, Thomas & Battle update friends and clients on legal and business issues. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, Just a quick background. Um, Eric and I have done um, a prior webinar um, in this COVID-19 new world. And today, we're going to talk to you briefly about managing teleworking in a COVID-19 world. Eric and I are both members in the firm labor and employment group. Um, and so as you can imagine, with all of the new laws and issues that have arisen for employees over the last um, four to six weeks, um, we've been dealing with these issues pretty frequently. So Eric, let me turn it to you. Right. Well, thank you, Carrie, and good morning, everyone. Glad that you are able to join us for this. Uh, telecommuting is clearly something that is becoming more and more of a focus for employers in general, but certainly highlighted by the issues we are dealing with in the COVID pandemic. And part of the reason is so many businesses in West Virginia and North Carolina in the entire region and the entire nation are looking at executive orders um, differing based on the various states, but all have a general theme of saying non-essential employees have to stay home and have to stay home in order to check the spread of COVID-19. The advantage of having some telework system, we'll talk a little bit about how if you have employees telework, you aren't going to be responsible for paid sick leave or um, leave under the extended FML under the federal law that passed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. It passed, feels like years ago, but it was just a about a month ago, Uh, but it also allows you to maintain your current business operations. And there's a lot of real advantages in in doing so. It allows you to have a more manageable workforce that your employees are dealing with folks they need to deal with at home. Now, there are some other benefits and some positives to being able to telecommute. Um, And a couple of things from recent surveys, they're not on the slides, but just so, you know, employees, when they're asked, 80 to 90% have said they like to be able to telecommute at least part of the week. And a vast majority of employers, up to 95%, have said that having that option actually increases employee retention uh, by increasing levels of satisfaction. And according to the surveys that I have seen, a third of the employees have said, you know, give me the option to telework. I'll take that over a pay raise. I like that flexibility better. Um, You know, the lines about the millennial workforce are almost cliche nowadays, but there is some of that, a a workforce that enjoys having that level of freedom. They appreciate that ability to telework. Now, of course, sometimes it's not even possible, right, Gary? Yeah, and and to go back, you know, we're in this COVID-19 world where many of you on this call are just trying to figure out really how to close the gap with the hope that we're going to return to normal operations. Um, And so teleworking is one of the ways that you can attempt to maintain um, the continuity of operations and services to your customers and vendors. And so one of the questions you have to ask yourself, and many of you may already be asking yourselves, is, is telework possible? Um, That's a pretty broad question. Um, We think it comes probably uh, with some scary questions on the front end. 
for some of you, um, some of you may be experts in teleworking. So you're, you were pretty comfortable and able to transition. Um, as a lawyer, you know, I work and Eric works off hours frequently. Um, so we work from home more than occasionally. So for us, it has literally we're doing it right now. <laughs> so, you know, it hasn't been an awful transition for us. Most of us, we have the technology in place, um, particularly as it relates to our lawyers and their ability to work from home. Um, but we have had to consider how would that work for staff persons, for paralegals, for some of our back office. Um, and so the first real key is to be flexible, but also be creative. Think about whether or not you can do what you need to do teleworking. That's both from a creative standpoint, but also a realistic one. Do you have the technology that you need to be able to telework and get your job done? And so some of that is, as you'll see here on the next slide, I'll skip one for a second, is do you have the sorts of equipment that you would need to work from home? Um, laptops, computers, printers, internet, et cetera. Um, but, but going back here briefly, one of the big issues we'd like for you to be thinking about as you are considering telecommuting is the security and, and cybersecurity concern. You need to make sure that you have in place the ability to protect the information that needs protected and to ensure that you're giving employees access to it in a way that has the appropriate levels of security. You know, require logging in through VPN with certain levels of, of passwords and login protections. So you, you really need to be assessing your workforce, both in terms of what work needs to be performed. And number two, you need to be looking at what employees can do it. Um, not every employee in your workforce is going to be a candidate for telecommuting. Um, and that's a decision that you, you should make on a case-by-case -case but non-discriminatory basis. A, a perfect example, and I think an easy example, is a bank teller at a bank. They probably cannot telecommute because the nature of their job simply requires that they be in the bank branch. Um, other jobs, I, I'll use the example of our assistants, it, ordinarily, their jobs aren't possible unless they're here in the office. But we've had to be creative to figure out how they can wor work remotely. And we have seen that in our industry, those other entities with whom we interact, the courts, um, notaries, um, real estate transactions, et cetera, we have seen similar flexibilities it, from those entities that in part have assisted us in our ability to make telework possible for positions that traditionally might not qualify for teleworking. But you know, one of the biggest issues, as I shared before, is cybersecurity. And, and Eric, what are your thoughts on sort of how to make sure that your IT is up to snuff? Well, you're gonna to need to make sure that you've got a very flexible IT department that are able to respond to questions remotely. A lot of it's gonna make sure that you've got their buy-in to be part of this process. Often that's an easy sell because the IT department are folks that generally appreciate being able to work remotely. A lot of what they can do can be done remotely. They're signing on um, via the internet to handle issues. I mean, there's not a lot of work that necessarily needs to be done up front. And when you look at the telecommuting issues, one of the major 
fails when it fails. Uh, a lot of employers that are new to this come in thinking, well, it's because the employees aren't working. It's like, well, actually, the main reason that it fails is there is a technological holdup, that the equipment that you have isn't isn't up to snuff, that you don't have the necessary firewalls in place, not only at your facility, but also that can be handled remotely uh, in a VPN system or on the laptops or desktops, for that matter, that your employees are using remotely. And so at the very outset, you can't be working this out with your employees and then talking to IT. You've got to have the IT department into the process of telecommuting. Uh, literally from step one. So they're part of creating the solution and they know what they need from a technological basis um, to, to make sure that it's installed. And, you know, Eric, um, from our perspective, I think it's always easy to use our personal experiences here at Spillman. Um, but, you know, our, our IT group, we're really fortunate to have a really highly skilled, and I would say not only that, but very responsive IT group. Who, I'm not sure they're on right now listening, Gary. <laughs> but if they hear about this in the future, it will ensure that I always get my calls answered first. Yes, it will. Um, but they, um, you know, they were really aware of what our system could handle uh, and sort of what happens if everybody logs on at once and needs to access files from our shared system. And so it's not to say that we haven't had some hiccups. It's not to say that we haven't had to make some adjustments. But we had a fairly realistic view as to what we were going to encounter when we made the decision. And so I definitely think for those of you who have your own in-house folks, you can have a very collaborative process. But for those of you who may be using a third-party service, make sure you're engaging them and, and understanding who you would work with and who your dedicated contact uh, might be. Um, so, Eric, you heard me say a second ago that one of the things that you need to have prepared as you think about a telecommuting workforce is that they have the sort of tools and equipment that they need. One of the questions we got is, is, is really about um, who has to provide this, this equipment? Um, I have Internet at home. Are you, are you required to upgrade me? I mean, what do you think about... Um, how we ensure that folks have what they need in their home offices. You know, if it is a home office to a large extent, especially if it is being required by the employer, um, the employer is going to be expected to supply the necessary infrastructure to make it work. So if you are saying, you know what, we're sending everyone home, but we want you to continue to work, we want you to be able to telework and continue to be a meaningful member of the team, well, don't be expecting folks to be buying their own computers, providing their own internet service. You want to be able not only to have control over that to make sure that it is properly secure, but there is going to be a, an understanding and obligation of the employer to make that possible for their employees. I don't want to turn this into a tax issue because certainly if I'm setting up my own home office for my convenience, well, maybe that's going to be something I'm writing off on my taxes. But if you're literally saying we are requiring this, we ought to be taking the steps to make that possible. And from an Internet standpoint, um, for those of you on the phone, a takeaway that I would give for you is to be checking with your employees to make sure that they are using appropriate security measures on their Internet connection. They should have appropriate passwords with enough 
characters and letters and capital and lowercase letters to make sure that someone can't drive by the street, park in front of their house and log into their system. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're imposing what you believe to be adequate security measures um, that folks need to comply with in order to have the rights to access your system remotely. For those of you who already have a workforce that routinely works from home, you may have considered those. But for those of you who are either A, first time teleworking workforces or B, adding brand new segments of your workforce to teleworking, making sure that you have asked the questions and gotten comfortable with the answers in terms of security and their capabilities, that's going to be important to make sure that teleworking is happening safely and securely. And, you know, while we encourage you to be creative in thinking about teleworking, there are steps that you can take to improve your success. I don't know if anybody's seen the meme, and I almost put it up here for you, but a couple of weeks ago, I saw a picture of a guy, and he was standing in his bathtub. He had all of his work clothes on for work. He had his backpack that he carried with him. He had his earbuds in. He had his telephone in one hand or coffee, and his other hand was holding his shower curtain rod. And I was like, well, that's a really silly photo. And then in the comments, he said, just trying to maintain my work routine. One of the ways that you can ensure success in teleworking is to establish a routine with your employees. Encourage them to have a work area, not just working from their beds or their couches, but, but encourage them to set up a space where they can spread out, put up their monitors, have their keyboard. Um, encourage them um, and quite possibly require them to have a dedicated set of hours that they work um, to the extent that your workplace is going to continue to facilitate a normal workday. Ask employees to work a normal workday, to take a lunch hour, to take breaks like they normally would, because when you establish those routines, it helps employees to better perform their work and to perform their work at a level that's commensurate with your needs as a business. If there's a main takeaway to keep in mind on teleworking, it is the idea that that second or third syllable work is there. Telework is still work. You are still expecting your employees who are working from home to work from home. As Carrie was talking about the idea of having sort of a regimen helps create the atmosphere of this is work, this is not vacation, or I'm just going to knock off a couple of projects here and there. I am literally working. I am on the job. So I'm starting at my regular time. I'm taking my regular lunch break. Um, and the surveys that have gone through folks that telework, when it clicks, you get a lot more productivity from folks. Distractions are often more uh, manageable and minimal, especially if they are able to do it in a nice system. Now, of course, we are dealing with a COVID-19 crisis. We've got people that are playing around with can telework work for me. I think it's important to remember it's all fine to be experimenting on this. Just make sure when you're talking to your employees and you're saying, all right, we're going to let you go and work from home for a while, 
make sure they know that this is a trial basis. We're going to be seeing what can work, what doesn't work. If it isn't working, it is okay to cancel the experiment. Say it's a failure. Telling somebody they are allowed to telework does not mean you are committed to allowing that person and everybody in the workforce to telework, no matter how poorly it may work for you on an individual basis, on a group basis, on a company-wide basis. So, you know, feel free, just make sure you're, you're making those expectations clearly understood. So folks know this isn't a promise long-term. Most folks that I've seen that have registered are long-term HR professionals. They know the drill on not making promises, but just say, look, we're gonna play this as it goes. We're gonna see what happens. And in the process of that experimentation, make sure everybody knows what is expected. Have a list. Who can work from home? Who can't work from home? Kerry talked about hours. It's not just important from a regimen standpoint, but it's important from your standpoint to make sure when people are working. If the work can be done in a staggered manner so that they don't necessarily have to work at exactly 8.30 to 5, that's fine but make sure those hours are understood. We'll talk about it on some wage and hour issues as well in a moment, but that folks know what is expected of them so they know what they are going to be held accountable for if they don't meet. Hey, Eric, we in there, yeah. briefly, we, we've gotten a question and I, I'd like your take. I, I, I'll give you mine and then see whether you have any different thoughts. Um, but the question really related to this whole issue of what we need to provide employees to ensure that they have the right types of equipment and, and accessibility from home and whether or not the employer is obligated to somehow provide an Internet allowance. Um, it's my personal opinion that, that, that I would consider that on a case by case basis, certainly for an employee who does not have internet access, who we are asking to work from home and needs internet access to do so, I would think that would be a candidate that I would consider providing an allowance for. I don't know that I would necessarily require that it be done for employees who, who already have pre-existing internet access, but wondered what your thoughts were. No, I think that's fair. I think the you know, certainly it would be a legitimate expense for somebody that has to go to the expense that you are requiring of them. I Legally, I don't think there would be an obligation to be paying for an internet allowance for individuals who already have it. I already have a cable modem. I, I you know, It's certainly capable of handling my needs. There isn't going to be a legal obligation, but I think there could be just an HR function of making it seem like I'm treating everybody the same to take that into consideration and, and to offer up that expense. Hopefully, because you are getting people to actually work, you're getting the benefit and financially it's going to make sense for you. So, um, I mean, I just would propose that you guys really think through the process of that. I certainly think for those folks who would need to go out of pocket either to upgrade to a faster speed to be successful or who don't have internet access and would be required to obtain it, for those I would certainly consider it. Obviously, you could go that step further and, and provide some type of an allowance for anyone. Um, I, I, but, but as Eric said, not a requirement. I, 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 but as part of the 
the benefits of teleworking, as we discussed in the beginning, it's the, the people want to work for you. It creates a positive environment. Um, in a situation where you're forcing somebody to go out of pocket 50 to 100 bucks a month, may have a rebounding opposite effect. Um, but in terms yeah, of this isn't the time to be chasing pennies. And it sounds like I'm being very free with your money. Uh, and, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm not the one writing the check. You are. But you know, my recommendation would be uh, this is probably not the time to be treating this very small expenditures as roadblocks uh, if it's going to help long term. And I know he's got a difficult situation right now. Uh, but long-term health of the company. But regardless, I, I do recommend that you think through a written policy on that and not just a written policy on how you might reimburse such expenses, um, but more generally a written policy on what the job expectations are going to be for employees working from home. I mean, Eric talked about it briefly, but making sure that employees understand what's expected of them and, um, is going to matter because there will be a whole new set of potential distractions that are going to be in in a home that don't exist in the workplace. There's going to be dirty dishes in the sink, potentially children and pets who want attention, uh, you know, laundry that needs to get done. And so there certainly is the potential that individuals will be distracted, but giving them clear, understandable guidelines for what they need to be doing when they're communicating with their customers, their clients, their levels of productivity, all of that will help you to get a workforce who is meeting your job expectations. Now, Eric, one of the biggest issues that we see, and I think we've had a question about it already, really relates to how do we know how much work our employees are performing when they're working from home. Do you have any real suggestions on how best to, to record that time? Well, if, if you already have a system set up that can track electronically, either by uh, entering start times on a phone, logging into a computer, that is ideal. Um, you, you can certainly go with the old fashioned, I'm gonna write my hours down on a piece of paper, but it is critical that you have some sort of a log. Anybody that has ever heard me talk on wage and hour issues knows the spiel that you're going to hear, which is if you can't have any sort of record of folks who are required to track their hours, I have this record, the employee is going to be allowed to claim whatever he or she uh, wants to claim. And I will guarantee you when the relationship goes bad, they will come back with a log of hours that they were in, you know, tracking in their diary. You may notice that the ink is still wet on that diary because, you know, it may not have actually been done at the time, but it's going to be a record that the employee has, and it's going to be a very difficult situation for you to establish otherwise. So, you know, it's often on this circumstance, if you've got folks that are working remotely at the end, these are the hours I have. Um, you know, it's an extra step maybe for the payroll, but it's going to protect you in the long run. And just one wage an hour suit will make it worthwhile to say, here are your hours. Tell me these are correct. If and, they and aren't I, correct and address it. Yeah, Carrie. Eric, I would add on to that. That's why it's so important to have communicated on the front end the work schedule that you expect your employees to work. Because 
that work schedule is what you expect and the hours that they log is the reality. And if you haven't clearly communicated to them what you expect, and you can't sort of mash up reality together and see if your employees are doing what you've told them they should do, and it makes it hard for you to address it. You don't want an employee who's supposed to work eight to five all of a sudden reporting to you that they worked from eight to nine, and then they did most of their work from 10 to four in the morning. Um, I mean, maybe you don't care about that because of the nature of your business, but if you're a customer-centric business and you need them working from eight to five, you want to be able to ensure that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, the thing to keep in mind is the standard obligations you have under the Fair Labor Standards Act still apply. And so making sure the folks are paid for all hours they work are still there. The regulations under COVID-19 um, all say that you don't have to compensate folks for hours that are unreported, but you need to make sure that you have a system so that those hours can properly be reported. Um, one of the questions we saw early on in this was if folks are working remotely and the home loses internet availability, what do you do? And frankly, it's the same as if they are in the office and there is a power outage. Their workday has started. They're still on the clock because under standard FLSA regulations, once the workday starts, it continues to the end of the day. There is an exception for some intermittent leave issues. There's an exception for lunch breaks when things are scheduled. But you generally wouldn't dock people if they're there in the office waiting for the lights to come back on. That's basically the same rule that you would have at home. And if you've got a message from AEP telling you, you know what, we're not going to be able to get the power back on for the rest of the day, and you send everybody home, you can stop paying people at that circumstance, and you can stop paying people uh, if they're working at home under that same circumstance. But again, they've got to be completely relieved and know that there is, they're going to be off work for a period of time. So, Eric, I mean, do you have, I guess what it sounds to me like you're saying is that um, it can't just be that they shot you an email and said, hey, I'm having trouble accessing the system, or they text your manager and say, hey, I'm having trouble. That wouldn't be reasons to not pay them. But, uh, you know, my utility provider has said that power is going to be out for the, the rest of the week or the rest of the day. That might be different. So you would have to really determine. I mean, is that really what you're saying? That yeah. you something more. If you've got somebody that's sitting at home waiting for a half hour, hour long lack of power, which is, you know, knocked out the computer, knocked out the power because of you know, a tree falling somewhere. I, I, that's still going to be part of the regular day. Um, and so you're just going to need to be able to track that, no, I'm off. It is a long period of time. Uh, certainly the standard rules for breaks, if it's less than 20 minutes, you can't dock, period. And, that, and again, that's the rule that applies if you're at the uh, office. That hasn't changed. So, Eric, I guess what I would say in that is um, this would be a, a circumstance where I might ask myself, how often is this employee's Internet not working? Yeah. Do we have an issue of, um, A, um, a lack of proper equipment that we need to address, or B, is this go back to the fact that teleworking is an experiment and decide whether or not this employee's experiment is a failure? Yeah, this, um, this may not be a location where it works. Um, and so then, Eric, um, how are you recommending that we track overtime hours right now? 
Well, I mean, clearly it's the same rules. And I know it sounds like, well, then why are we having this? But it's just to keep in mind, telework is still work. And so if the rule at the office is you don't work overtime without permission, that's the rule when you're teleworking. You don't work overtime without permission. And then we need approval ahead of time. But of course, the same rule applies that if they are recording those hours, you've got to pay them for that, at least that first shot. But then you discipline them for working overtime without permission. You can't just refuse to pay folks. And again, anybody that does payroll on a regular basis is going, Eric, I already know that. That's the rule when they're in the office. Rule translates when they're working from home. And, and one of the ways that you are going to make sure that employees understand that the rules in the office apply um, at home are to make sure that your employees are aware that your workplace policies and procedures remain in effect. Um, you're going to want to have those in writing with all the appropriate caveats that any good lawyer would give you about whether or not this is limited to this particular instance, et cetera. But you want to make sure that you've communicated in some way to your employees, timekeeping, hours work, their schedule, conduct, et cetera. And we're going to talk about some of these, these conduct issues a little bit more. We had a question in a, one of the registrants who asked about um, ADA sort of accommodations issues. Um, and I, I don't mean to sound... Um, uh, like a lawyer here, though I am, but really nothing changes for you. Um, you know, under the ADA and FMLA, keep in mind that you are only subject to those laws under the tests that ordinarily apply. While the Families First Coronavirus Response Act is going to make some of the employers on this call um, subject to providing a FML leave when normally they don't have to, for all other types of FMLA, the normal default rules apply, which is 50 or more employees within a 75 mile radius, worked for you for at least a year, 1,250 hours, et cetera. But you're going to use the same triggering um, events that you would use if this person were in the workplace to deal with a request for accommodation or a request for leave. And so similarly, if someone provides you of a need to leave, uh, for leave, either because of their own or a family member's serious health condition, um, whether that's COVID-19 or otherwise, you're going to provide them FMLA paperwork. If it's COVID-19 related, check with your counsel. The, the laws on that type of paperwork are a little different. But at the end of the day, if you provide them the normal DOL FMLA paperwork, I'm not going to be terribly upset because that's the right step to move it forward. If we get feedback from a healthcare provider that it's a COVID-19 reason, we can adapt to this less stringent documentation requirements. Under the ADA, I think we stress this every time we talk about the ADA, whether that's you know at a supervision event or otherwise, but you need to engage in the interactive process. From a teleworking perspective, that may mean um, that that conversation can only occur via email or telephone as opposed to in person, but it's going to be even more important that you're documenting that you had that conversation. So again, 
you're going to receive from the employee some request to alter their, their workspace or work environment. And then you're going to have to consider why they need that accommodation and whether you can do that. You know, we encourage you to be creative and realistic throughout this teleworking process. And that's true whether it's someone claiming a disability or otherwise. So take it on a case-by-case -case basis and consider whether you can address it. Another item to be concerned with is there have been cases of employees claiming workers' comp injuries from working from home. And one of the ways that you work to safeguard um, yourself is to have a written policy um, that really attempts to define the parameters of the employee's workday so that you understand when they are doing work for you versus when they might be distracted doing things from home. Um, it, obviously, an individual has a much harder case to make because under workers' comp laws, they still have to show that they were injured in the course and scope of work for you. Um, that's why you want to make sure that they clearly understand what their hours are, when they're taking breaks, so that if they claim an injury when taking laundry out of the laundry basket, you all can show that that's not a workers' comp injury. Um, as it relates to whatever these performance standards are, make sure that you understand that you don't have to change them, but you should be realistic about them. There are going to be aspects of the job, and, and this is a, somewhat on a case-by-case -case basis, that are going to change because the methods of performing the job necessarily have to change. Um, so, you know, we would encourage you to really think through um, how to enforce your performance standards, what steps employees would take to meet those standards, um, but don't continue to ask your employees to work full days and to be productive during those days. Well, really, I would say more importantly, be understanding that as you are ramping up this process, you may not be getting 100% efficiency. You might. You might have folks that it works really well, and they're even better and more efficient while they're working from home. But it's important that flexibility is vitally important at the early part of this. And, and working and responding to questions from your employees on how to make the system work and being in touch. One of the other issues, I talked about IT being a big issue. Another big issue is you got employees who are teleworking and they just sort of feel like they're drifting off into space and they're not feeling like they are part of the team because there is a lack of communication. And I think it's vitally important to make sure this works, that your supervisors are focused on using their time productively to reach out and not just emails. I'd say set up video calls, set up telephone calls, talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, make sure everybody understands this is great, this needs to work better, but you're progressing in the right way. It's a time for a lot more of a proactive management style. And of course, really be consistent in the way that you are applying those standards. You, know, you, all, you never wanna look back at the end of the day and go, hmm, I seem to have been treating you know, the male employees like, yeah, they all know how to do this, but I felt like I needed to babysit the female employees or vice versa. You wanna make sure you're treating people consistently. Um, Carrie, I wanna I address a couple of interesting questions that came in 
over the course of this talk before we get to a couple other policies that may be needed. I had somebody that uh, sent in a question about, hey, why don't I just offer my employees the option of lower salary versus telework? Uh, and my answer to that is, that's fine, but, and I'll get to that. I mean, generally, you can strike terms with, any, with your employees in any way you want, and assuming you are paying minimum wage and or paying you know, the, uh, your salaried exempt employees the salary basis that they have to get under federal law, you can negotiate terms with your employees as you wish. And I referenced earlier, there's a lot of folks that are willing to make a trade of working from home and doing a little bit more work maybe in their sweatpants versus a little bit of pay. That said, I would not make that the option for folks um, is maybe a way to avoid having to pay uh, federal leave under the FFCRA. I think that could be seen as somewhat retaliatory. It seems like you're trying to pressure people into working from home for less pay. But I think generally, globally, that's a perfectly fair trade-off. And I had another question about, hey, wouldn't internet allowances normally be part of an offer letter? And I think if you're doing the hiring, absolutely. That's something that you're thinking about at that process. What Carrie and I were talking about is sort of the uh, adapting to changing circumstances and how do you handle somebody that was having work uh, remotely, uh, perhaps short-term, in response to the executive order from you know, whichever governor you are uh, responsive to. So uh, I hope those answered a couple of the questions that have come in. Uh, now, Carrie, are there any other policies that you might need? Um, well, Eric, before I go to my, my favorite policy, um, I, I want to follow up on that, the question you just answered about whether or not it's in an offer letter. Um, in this particular case, I wouldn't feel concerned about deviating from a, oh, well, it wasn't in your offer letter. As you indicated, these are extraordinary times, and so it may require you to do something different. Um, and if you are going to do something because it's in an executive order and you do decide to issue a policy, just make clear that you are issuing a policy that is in effect solely as a result of and for the duration of the quarantine related to COVID-19. And I think that, that those caveats are going to avoid concerns that potentially somebody else claims, oh, well, you let John get recovered. Well, we let John get recovered because, you know, the governor of West Virginia closed us and we were still trying to work from home. I think as long as you have those in place, you'll be fine. Um, it, it, turning to my favorite policy, and there was a, um, a reprimand issued by a judge in Florida the other day. And I think that while it relates to lawyers specifically, I think it's particularly applicable to all of you who may be asking your employees to video conference. Um, a Florida judge had to tell employees the other day, um, instruct attorneys that they should not appear on Zoom calls with the judge without a shirt on. Now, I'm surprised that we have to have this conversation. Um, a shirt seems, um, I, I don't know, um, I can't imagine going on um, a video with a federal judge without, you know, basic attire. Um, but I think the point is that if you have individuals in your workforce who are going to be engaging, whether that's with other employees, whether they're going to be engaging with customers or vendors, um, consider how you want them to appear. I'm not suggesting 
that in today's day and age where everybody understands that workplaces are a little more flexible, that that doesn't mean a somewhat lesser dress code um, might be appropriate. But consider talking about what minimum standards you'd like your employees to have. Should they have brushed their hair today? Um, what sort of distractions would you like for them to take steps to try to mitigate? I mean, we've probably all seen, I think it was a CNN clip of a, of a guy who's sitting there trying to talk and his dad, his daughter comes in screen. You're not going to be able to avoid those in their entirety. Um, but considering asking your employees to choose a place that has an appropriate and professional background, minimizing attempted background noise, et cetera, I think you should consider those in the policy. The judge who reprimanded the, the shirtless attorneys basically said that professionalism hadn't gone out the window. And I think that although these are unique times, you have the opportunity to make a positive impression on your customers with the steps that you take um, right now. But really, throughout this process to be successful, I think communication is key. And I mean that in all areas of your business, both within your own employees and externally. We have found my office normally conducts a biweekly meeting with the attorneys in the office who all do different areas of legal practice, but just to touch base with one another. And, and with most of us working from home, we have started doing those meetings as, as Zoom video meetings. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I really didn't think that I would care whether it was a video or a telephone, but I've kind of started to look forward to being able to see people's faces once a week. And that goes back to one of Eric's earlier points about helping people not feel lonely, helping them feel engaged. So trying to come up with different mediums through which your employees can communicate, instant messaging programs, email programs, Zoom, would, would encourage you if you ordinarily have weekly or ongoing meetings with a team or a group of people to continue to hold those meetings in some form or fashion. The more normalcy that you can you know, impose on the process, the more your employees are going to feel like this is somewhat normal. Um, at the same time, ask your employees to be highly responsive to you in terms of letting you know when they are and aren't available. Um, I had a friend who one of his subordinates had been asked a question and it took him hours to answer when ordinarily it would have been seconds or minutes since their offices are next door to each other. And so one of the ways um, that he could have addressed that was immediately putting an accurate out of office up so that it notified people that he wasn't at his computer right then. So think about ways that you can ask your employees to, to communicate with one another, but also communicate with you and others as to where they're at, what they're doing and how they're available. And, Additionally, I would encourage you to consider um, if you don't have weekly meetings or daily meetings to set those up. Um, create expectations and lists of daily priorities for your employees so that there's a checklist that, that you can kind of help them understand, here's what I should be accomplishing today. Um, that's not only a good way to keep the employee um, on task and effective, but it's a great way for your managers to understand whether their subordinates are being effective and on task while teleworking. And so, Eric, I mean, obviously- hey, Terry, I wanted to follow up on that real quick, you know, Mike, we've got a question that came in. What if you have an employee that says, 
I don't want to be on the camera. I mean, we're I, you hear my voice? That's enough. I mean, it, look. <laughs> Um, you know, here's my personal opinion. If you schedule an in-person meeting and people in the office need to come to it, then you can schedule a video meeting and require your employees to attend it. You know, as we said before, performance standards don't have to change. Um, and so, again, here, I, I wouldn't necessarily, without a really good reason, um, exempt your employees from meetings of this type, whether they like it or not. Yeah, and I think it's probably worthy of a a communication with the employee on what the issue is uh, and see if you can work through uh, the folks. I mean, it's probably somebody that is a little bit shy and just doesn't feel they're properly prepared. Um, I don't always shave when I'm not coming into the office and I don't necessarily want to send that image, but uh, I can, I can make that work because I would do it if I was coming into the office. So, I think it sounds that's good like you're a lot nicer about it than I am. I mean, look, I am not a fan of video conference. I don't appreciate the angle. I don't appreciate where the camera is on our computers. But you know what? The camera's in the same place for everybody else. So when I'm on the when I'm on the phone or on the video with everybody in our office, we all look like exactly the same idiots with the same terrible angle. And I feel like at the end of the day, once you're on the call, the fears that an employee might have, you get over them pretty quickly. Um, but it is a time to make sure that you know, it's a great way to check in, right? If right. an employee on a video call with you and they appear to be walking through the woods, they're probably not working. So, you know, I, I think it's fine to require employees to be on video. I, I also think it's fine to consider um, potentially exempting them. Um, yeah. And you know, I guess my thought was just I would probably have a conversation first before starting up the uh, written discipline process. Well, I might do that, too. Um, but I, I just think that I would I would probably be a little more forceful about it, too, only using myself as someone who knows that sometimes I have to be forced to find the webcam um, for work based calls. So, Eric, do you propose any sorts of different types of monitoring? I mean, how do you. What are we doing on the day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that people are, are doing their job effectively? Uh, well, again, I mean, we've we referenced a little bit of this as far as you know, setting performance standards, but it also means staying engaged with your employees as far as, you know, monitoring them. And again, I'm not talking about micromanaging. I'm not talking about you know, sort of breathing down the neck of individuals on you know, staying on top of things any more than you would necessarily in the workplace. But I think those conversations early on, how is it going? How is the process? Um, you know, if you're handling telephone calls, how many customer calls are you taking? How many, of, you know, how are you doing on these projects early on is ideal. And then setting up those weekly meetings, those follow-up meetings that Carrie was describing to make sure, again, that you are constantly part of the process, communicating with your employees, so they are always feeling like they are part of the team and not left out on an island somewhere. Um, it's a, it's a trust-based relationship, because, and if you don't have mutual trust, it is not going to work in the long run. Yeah, Gary. Eric, I thought you made a really good point the way you just said it a second ago, which is you would monitor them the same way you would if they were in the workforce. And, you know, in the workforce, we can have two employees with the same job 
title and the same job duties and one of them be on a performance plan and the other one be getting stellar reviews. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that same premise applies to the telecommuting relationship. Again, you might remember the slide where it said telework is still work with work in red. I mean, the principles don't change just because the location changes. So, you know, what I would say to folks on the phone here is, you know, adjust your monitoring accordingly. Make sure you're treating people equally um, and that if you are imposing greater monitoring on some employees versus others, that it's just for legitimate workplace reasons. Um, but other than that, feel free to go through your same performance management type rules and, and regulations. But I think yeah, I, would... I don't have an issue if you step it up a little bit in the onset. Again, it's an experiment. You're learning what works, what doesn't. And you want to make sure that you are setting the right expectations and you're getting the right workloads for everybody. That probably is going to require a little extra attention at the very outset. But just make sure you're consistent. Yeah, and I, I guess what I would say is that one of the things I would encourage, or I guess four of the things that I would encourage employers to consider is that there are challenges that exist when you have employees working from home. And that's true whenever telecommuting exists, but it's especially true in today's environment where individuals aren't just teleworking, but they also have these additional um, societal constraints on their actions. Um, and so there's there's been a lot of talk out there about mental health concerns related to these stay-at-home orders. Um, about the loneliness that individuals are feeling. And that loneliness that individuals may feel isn't limited to their social interactions, but they may also be feeling it as well in the workplace. So there are challenges that employees can experience while working from home. And we just ask that you show grace and consideration um, in this process and try to come up with a creative way to, to deal with employees who are having challenges. I mean, remember, you're a team. And I would say more than ever now, it's important that you come up with ways to recognize successes that your teams are having. And they may be smaller or different successes than you would have recognized in the past, but make sure that you're recognizing them. Make sure that you are taking these opportunities on phone calls, on video conferences, to check in with each other, not just about work issues. For some people, this may be one of the few opportunities that they have to really talk to people that aren't their four-legged pets, their plants, or their children. So, you know, I think that you all can be, employers can be a great source of support for employees during this time as well. So it wouldn't be a, a talk about telecommuting if we didn't, um, Eric, spend at least a minute um, on um, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. So you want to yeah. give a review of those? Sure. I hope folks have another uh, 90 minutes to go over this. Um, Y'all <laughs> may have heard uh, Congress passed this, and we are living under it at least through the um, end of the year, and in very bulleted format. There's a lot of information on the task force website. It is a law, and you all know this, um, that establishes up to 80 hours of paid sick leave for a variety of COVID 
COVID-19-related reasons and establishes a new reason for FMLA leave. Um, and I always say that because it doesn't give you more weeks. It's still the 12 weeks, but it's a new reason um, for FML for addressing a child who is out of school or daycare or a child care provider is unavailable. The law was really clear. And one of the reasons that we're talking about the teleworking is it's only available if an employee is unable to work or telework, which the act actually was kind enough in the regulations to define. What is telework? So, you know, when we see in the context of, of this law, the ability to telework, it really means three things, that the employer has work um, for the employee to do, that the employer is permitting that employee to perform that work um, from a telecommuting perspective, and three, that there aren't extenuating circumstances that may prevent the employee from performing that work. So, you know, really, what does that mean? Well, we think that being able to offer telecommuting is going to provide you with a way to say, you don't need leave. You can be at home and continue to do work for us. We think it expands the opportunities to for you to continue to have um, a fully um, operational, efficient workforce, and think that's one of the great reasons for considering it, in addition to some of the other benefits we've already described. Um, however, um, if you look at the regulations, it is clear that there will be instances where an employee, although offered the opportunity to telework, may be unable to telework because of one of the COVID-19 qualifying reasons. When an employee reports to you that they need leave and they are in a teleworking situation, the regulations imposed by the DOL indicate that you are entitled to seek documentation in support of that leave request, which includes the employee's name, the dates for which the leave is sought, the COVID-19 qualifying reason, and the statement representing the, the reason they're unable to work or telework. Um, the examples given in the regs relate most often to an individual who has a COVID-19 positive diagnosis themselves. And I think that's really reasonable, right? You have an employee who maybe initially wasn't showing symptoms, but later on is reporting that they're having awful health symptoms and they just can't work. Well, that makes sense to me. They're going to qualify for leave. But one of the situations we've seen arising recently um, are employees who are claiming that they cannot telework because they aren't able to, to deal with their children at home and be effective. Um, Eric, you and I have talked a little bit about that. Um, part of the issue for employers here is that the documentation required, it, it's a little questionable as to how much um, information you can request in support of that statement representing that they're unable to telework. Um, what thoughts do you have on, on how we might go about maybe getting more information as to why you can't deal with your children and work? Well, I think, and we're digging into a gray area on this without a doubt, but I, I would be comfortable telling employers to explore a little bit on why they're unable to telework, especially because, and we'll, you know, we got a slide on intermittent leave coming up. You I'm are allowed to create intermittent leave. There, okay. Um, under the FFCRA, if folks are teleworking or if they need leave for childcare. And so 
I think you can use this regulation to at least begin a dialogue with the employee of, well, you say you can't work or telework. Can you use some sort of intermittent leave? And generally, I tell folks, you, you, know, you avoid intermittent leave like the plague uh, because it's so impossible to enforce. But the beauty of intermittent leave, as it's allowed under the FFCRA, is that it, one, must be with your agreement. It's not the employee telling you, I need to take off whenever I get a migraine, um, which is probably only going to happen on the Fridays before holiday weekends. Here, you are establishing a schedule, and you are saying, all right, you can use intermittent leave, and so we will have you work three hours in the morning while the kids are working on, you know, catching up on their schooling and maybe three hours later on in the evening or two hours or, you know, whatever, however the math works, um, so that you are creating a schedule set down, you know, preferably in writing, doesn't need to be formal, but at least an email that you uh, both are sort of acknowledging uh, by electronic signature on how it's going to work, what days are going to work, be worked, and what you're going to do during that time frame. Um, you know, there's something where you are having to draft documents. What are those le levels of expectations, things that Carrie and I were talking about earlier in this. So I am comfortable in at least exploring that angle with somebody who comes up to you and says, you know what, I can't even telework because I've I got to take care of the kids. Um, and I think but that the that documentation levels are, are very minimal. Sorry, Carrie, go ahead. No, I just think that in terms of having that discussion, when an employee tells you that they're unable to work, you know, I encourage a couple of things. Remember, intermittent leave is is exists, and under this law, it will pay an employee at a partial rate when they're unable to work um, to care for their kids. But if an employee can work their normal full set of hours, maybe under a different um, structure, um, like some hours early in the morning, some hours later in the evening, et cetera, if they're still able to get all their hours in, you don't have to provide them the leave. The leave really only exists if they're not hitting their full-time hours. So I would certainly encourage you to have a conversation to try to talk to your employees about how they can continue to work for you um, in some form or fashion. And, and just to go back to the slide we skipped, um, one of the points I would tell you is that um, the law has said that you need to communicate um, the rights under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act to your employees. Um, there is a poster that you are supposed to post in the places where you normally post employment posters. But they've also made clear that if you have a teleworking workforce, that you can't rely upon your, your poster board because employees aren't going to see it and you need to communicate it to them. You know, here, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and employees have become experts at what rights they have. Um, we encourage you all to clearly communicate what the rights are under these leave laws so that you can be the ones to make sure you are giving employees good information and accurate information. And, and, and in truth, they have the right to seek this leave under the law, so make sure that, that you aren't shying away um, from communicating clearly what those options are. And so, Eric, um, I think yeah. this is our final slide in terms of wrapping up. What are your thoughts sort of on where we're going to go next with telecommuting? Um, well, you know, I did a talk 
middle of March, it feels like ages ago now, saying I am thinking that there's going to be a lot of new normal in, excuse me, folks doing telecommuting on an ongoing basis. I think some folks are going to find this works. Not everybody. Not everybody, but I think a few folks are going to find out that this is going to work well. Now, the one downside, and although I think to a large extent this ship was sailing already, is in the future, if somebody comes to you and says, I need the reasonable accommodation of teleworking, it may be harder to say that's not a reasonable accommodation if you have been allowing people to telework as a response of the pandemic. Now, again, I said I think to some extent that ship has been uh, sailing already, so I'm not really sure I would be changing how I do business and how I am trying to make the best of the current situation out of that fear. Um, and I think we're going to learn a lot about what works and what doesn't. And, you know, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, I think it may birth a lot of inventions on how to have a more effective workplace. You know, the question we had earlier, can I reduce the salary of folks who, by offering them the chance to work at home? Maybe. I mean, and, and maybe you'll have a happier workforce that are more committed to you at a slightly letter, lesser cost. That's certainly a good thing. Um, and the employees are happy. They're, they're getting more satisfaction out of their work. So it, it, I'm not just trying to play Ebenezer Scrooge here and, and cut every cost. I'm thinking of ways that's going to create satisfaction in the workplace and everybody's going to be happier. So, you know, I, I may be a little Pollyanna on this, but, you know, I think there is a real possibility there's going to be some good and some benefits that are going to come out of this process. So, Eric, before we fully wrap up, we've had a couple of questions come in that, that I'd like us to answer. You know, there's two that, that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. And the first was, um, have we seen workers' comp claims um, resulting from COVID-19? Um, we have a couple of folks who have actually authored an article, though it is from the perspective of West Virginia workers' comp laws, which may not be applicable to the individual who asked the question. It will um, be. I, I know the person who asked the question. And so if you take a look at our task force website, um, Dill Battle and, and, and Charity Lawrence have written an article on the likelihood that COVID-19 could be a um, covered workers' comp claim. And, and all likelihood, um, it's probably no for many industries. Um, there are certain industries where the likelihood is higher. Healthcare is an example because it's still a workers' comp claim and you still have to show that it's an injury incurred in the course and scope of your work. So I would encourage you to take a look at that article. I think it answers the question far more eloquently than I can. Um, but on an additional question, um, Eric, you and I actually talked about almost a similar question to the one that, that we received. Um, it's my opinion that an employee who is eligible for the leave uh, who is not performing at the level we expect them to, but says, I'm just going to take this unpaid. Um, I think that's a real risk for employers um, under these paid leave laws. Um, the question is, it, it relates to an employee who cannot effectively work because they're caring for their kids from home. And instead of taking the Families First Coronavirus Response Act leave, they just want to be unpaid. And whether they can do that. Well, you know, one of the elements of the paid leave is leave that is being provided as an additional type of leave under the FMLA. 
And under the FMLA, an employee doesn't actually have to request leave so much as they tell you about the need for leave. And in this case, an employee here, I think you could at least argue that they've told you of the need for leave. Um, and I would worry about what happens if you don't, as an employer, go ahead and start ticking off um, those weeks of FMLA coverage now. Um, so, you know, Eric, what's your thought on just going ahead and designating that leave as, as EFML um, and paying them according to the two-thirds rates there? I think you have to. Um, and I saw that question, and I'm glad you took the first whack at it because it, it is a tricky one. But I agree with you that I, I think there is too much risk in saying, okay, we aren't going to give you the leave that we are required to. And I know the employer is doing this because they've done the math and they – the $600 extra payment under um, unemployment is, is going to be better than two-thirds pay, but you know, they have told you they need the leave, they qualify for it. I think they get it. I don't think you have the option of saying, well, no, instead of doing what the law says we have to do, we're going to give you an unpaid leave. Um, I agree with that. Um, I, I think you have to go ahead and designate it. Um, another question, and, and Eric, you and I were actually emailing about this yesterday. Um, it relates to the definition of a care provider for children and sort of when that's unavailable. And I, I think you can probably answer it um, with a little more detail. But my understanding was that the regulations imposed a pretty broad definition of caregiver under the law that, that entitles an employee to leave. Right. I mean, it is not just a professional caregiver, but it is a friend or family member who isn't being compensated that is now unable to provide uh, leave for a COVID-19 reason. There is no requirement under the law that I have seen that says we can make them look for other sources um, that aren't in the home. Because again, if you go back the leave for childcare under the federal paid sick leave, the extended FML, you do have to certify that there is no one else at home available. But I think that's it. It's not there's no one else in the community who is available. Well, I think you know, I think that's all of the questions we've received. And, and other than the fact that I have managed to misspell my own email address, um, we have provided you with our contact information on this last slide and um, we'll correct um, my email address before we put it up on the website because it's actually spillmanlaw.com. Um, but we're happy to answer, um, you know, a follow-up question that you may have as a result of this presentation. And um, we appreciate you all joining us today. We hope that you all are staying safe and sane um, as you navigate um, this pandemic and um, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you all today. All right. Carrie, thank you all so much and thank you all for joining us.